this is Memorial Day weekend, and we just want to give a special word of, of thanks to those in our congregation who have served faithfully. Some of you have put yourselves in pretty significant places of risk and danger, and probably many of us know some folks personally that have lost their lives in service to our country. So we want to say thank you, uh, even uh, as we really appreciate Corey mentioning that in our prayers this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the ways in which uh, others have, in different ways, heard a call to duty and to service, and ultimately really to love, uh, love for others beyond themselves. And so we pray you, you would bless them and bless those families that have lost loved ones um, in, the, in the past and also recently. And Lord, as we turn to consider your word this morning, we do pray that you'd open every heart, help us to hear what you would want us to hear, and to respond how you would want us to respond. We pray in the name of Jesus, our only Lord and Savior, who died for us and who has risen, and who is at your right hand, and through the power of your Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. The book of Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, and it opens with what I consider to be a very subtle but beautiful statement. It says this, Luke says, In the first book, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit. So the Gospel of Luke is a book about what Jesus began to do and to teach. And so I think many rightly here implied in what Luke says here that the, the book of Acts then tells the story of what Jesus continues to do and to teach. So apparently Luke thinks that Jesus still has works to accomplish and words to speak. But we may ask the question, how in the world can that be when Jesus disappears through his ascension halfway through the first chapter of a 28-chapter book? Now, many of you probably would recognize the name Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was most recently the former governor of California, but many of us know him from his bodybuilding and powerlifting days, and more especially some of us know him from some of his movie appearances. Now, he also was known for that, not only the big build, but he had this thick Austrian accent that was unmistakable and sort of imposing. Now, back in the medieval period of 1990, he starred in a, in a movie called Kindergarten Cop. Now, he wasn't quite as buff as he was in his uh, powerlifting and bodybuilding days, but he was still a very physically imposing figure. And he starred as a cop who went undercover, went incognito in a school as a kindergarten teacher so that he could help bust this criminal whose ex-wife apparently worked at the school. And what was interesting is in the process of the movie, he, uh, his rigorous police training came out as he dealt with the, the crisis of managing this classroom of kindergartners and who began to whip them into shape with some of his skills, not, not always with the greatest amount of success. But this cop had an important mission, and he went in disguise, he went incognito to go accomplish it. So how does Jesus continue his mission? We might say that Jesus continues his mission of works and words because he too goes sort of incognito. So to go incognito is to conceal your identity, to go undercover, to be dis disguised. But we might ask the question, well, how does he actually do that then? How can I make that claim that Jesus goes incognito? Well, in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 6 through 10, we hear about the Holy Spirit who prevented this group of disciples from heading into Asia. 
when we then hear about the Spirit of Jesus stopping these same disciples when they set their sights on a region called Bithynia. Now, we might be confused why Luke would be speaking of the Holy Spirit in one verse and then the Spirit of Jesus in the next. What's that all about, right? Well, we should see the Spirit of Jesus as being just another way of talking about the Holy Spirit. So he's basically just saying the same thing. But maybe with a nuance like this, to speak this way is to remind us that it is only through Jesus that we are baptized with and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. To speak this way is to remind us that it is the, Spirit, the Spirit is the one who points us to Jesus. And ultimately, just as God the Father and Jesus the Son are one, Jesus the Son of God and the Spirit of God are one. We in the church are often constantly talking about, and rightly so, that our mission as a church is to build faithful disciples who serve Jesus Christ. Discipleship, especially if we take Luke and Acts seriously, is ultimately life in the amazing and wonderful presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So ultimately, the books of, book of Acts shows us that Jesus' mission incognito happens by the personal indwelling, presence, prompting, and power of the Holy Spirit in the believers in Jesus Christ. So what will be true then if we disciples or would-be disciples of Jesus are to participate in Jesus' mission incognito by the Holy Spirit? It means there will need to be, on our part, an openness to the Spirit of Jesus. Now, this openness of heart ultimately begins through grace. Consider the story of Lydia there at the end of the passage that Corey read for us. Lydia's story is a prime example. We hear how the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The journey for each of us to participate in Jesus' incognito mission always begins with God's call through God's messenger. First, the call to faith and discipleship, but then at some point in our discipleship, whether sooner or later, that includes living then a spirit-led life of mission with Jesus. We need to first of all be opened by the Spirit of Jesus so that we can then in an ongoing way be open to the Spirit of Jesus to hear and to answer this call to mission. So we, if we are concerned about whether or not for ourselves or somebody else in our life has a heart that's been opened, maybe what we need to do then is to begin to pray for ourselves and or pray for those other people in our lives. Maybe you know that great chorus that we sometimes sing, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Let's make that our prayer in our hearts. But once our hearts have been opened by the Spirit, to the Spirit of Jesus, a key lesson, lesson we must learn that I think is taught here, and ultimately I think we have to relearn it, a lot of us, day after day after day, is that the Spirit of Jesus both closes doors as well as open doors. Part of being open to the guidance of the Holy Spirit is a willingness to receive the Spirit saying to us, no, or not now, or not here, or not this. The guidance of the Holy Spirit was twice a negative guidance for Paul and his team before it was a positive guidance. It involved first closing some doors. Paul and his team obviously were intent on going into two different areas to continue their ministry work, but the Holy Spirit, a.k.a. the Spirit of Jesus, said no. We may ask the question, well, why? Well, I don't know that we can say exactly, but here this bit of information I think is really helpful. If we're concerned about these areas that, uh, of Asia and Bithynia that God 
the, the Spirit didn't let them go into, we should be comforted by the fact that perhaps God hadn't overlooked them or wouldn't overlook them. Paul would later have a very long and productive evangelistic outreach in Ephesus, which was a large and very important city in Asia. Many people, people think that when Paul set up shop in a big city like that, he was getting something started so that ultimately then the surrounding area would have the message trickled out to them as people went forth from the larger city to the smaller areas and likewise from the smaller areas into the larger city. Not only that, but it's interesting to know that the first ministry outcome of Paul and his team when they go to Macedonia is actually the salvation of a woman who was from Thyatira, which was in Asia. So God already was giving a little sign that he cared about the people of Asia. As for Bithynia, we hear that the Apostle Peter addressed Christians in that area in his first letter. Because we know that Peter was martyred in the mid-60s, that means that his message, the message of the gospel was probably planted there sometime before the mid-60s. And so we, that means that there were Christians in that area sometime between Paul coming through that area in around AD 50 and the time that Peter wrote that letter in the early 60s. There's also a famous letter written by a Roman official named Pliny the Younger. He wrote this in about 111 or 112 A.D. And he was actually writing to the emperor, apparently, and sort of complaining about and considering what he needed to do with all these Christians who, was messing, who were messing up the economy in this area. Apparently, the gospel had, had such a powerful effect among a significant number of people that the, they were no longer buying the amounts of uh, sacrificial animals for the pagan practices that drove that economy and helped kind of hold their political and social system together. So the gospel had made it to Bithynia, and it was turning their world upside down there. Now for some of us, those closed doors that I'm talking about, that the Spirit of Jesus uh, brings into our lives, they have to do with our non-involvement in any meaningful way in, in the incognito mission of Jesus. Some of us may need a sort of kick in the pants to get out of the pew to get involved in something for once. And so this closed door actually has is the Spirit closing the door to our previous non-involvement. For others of us, this closed door may have to do with the fact that we think we should do something or we just think that it's automatic that we're going to do something that we've already been involved in. And the Lord has to shut a door in our face to get us out of something to get us to something that he's either changing direction in our lives or there's something else that he wants us to do to get involved in so there's multiple types of closed doors and so we I invite you this morning to consider what that closed door is for you maybe you haven't really gotten involved in the mission of Christ or maybe you've gotten on the sidelines and God is calling you off of the sidelines back into the thick of things on the playing field so that the the incognito mission of Jesus can be fulfilled through your life as well I would also consider, ask you to consider this as well. Sometimes we think of witness as sort of in a compartment. So mission work is something we do when, only when we were with other believers and involved a church-organized uh, thing. I was challenged this week to think more thoroughly about our witness. Some of you may be a school teacher, an accountant, a construction foreman, a part-time car hop at Sonic, a lawyer, a doctor, or a stay-at-home parent. And the challenge is for us to think thoroughly about all areas of our lives as arenas of our witness and, in fact, witness itself if it's done in the name of Jesus and in the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit, that our witness can actually be the very work we do even if we haven't thought of it as religious or spiritual work because it contributes to the well people of, 
uh, of other people. It's for the glory of God, and it's for the good of others. And the way we do it can become a witness for what Christ has done in our lives. Also, this truth of the Spirit opening and closing doors might need to be considered beyond what might we consider a specific calling into a specific mission. Maybe just simply a job change. Even if we haven't thought of it as something we've chosen for ourselves or thought of it as something as a divine calling, maybe the the Lord is closing this job opportunity up to open the door for another one so that we make that change and, and we enter into the things that God has for us. Now, this all sounds great, but maybe some of you are like me that we struggle with some burning questions. I've had many of these in my faith journey. Do you find that you struggle with hearing God's voice? I certainly do. Do you sometimes feel like you're clueless about how it is to discern God's direction? We don't necessarily, many of us, often have an obvious dream or vision like Paul ultimately had at the the end of that first paragraph that Corey read. We don't necessarily hear an audible voice. We don't necessarily meet the success that we assumed would accompany following the sense of direction that we think we've received in our lives. If you're familiar with this passage, or if you'd been familiar with it before we read it this morning, you may have actually seemed a bit, find it a bit confusing that in Paul's dream we hear of a Macedonian man calling for, for help for him, yet the first two people that actually experience the liberating power of the gospel are not men, but actually women, Lydia and then the, the woman that was demon-possessed. And as I mentioned, the first woman wasn't even from Macedonia. She was just hanging out over there. I would rather not have to deal with detours and delays and a sense of cloudiness about God's direction in my life. The reality is that that's a lot of times what it's like. And in some ways, it seems that's exactly how it was like for Paul and Silas and Timothy. They had to face that. And when we bump into those situations, sometimes we may react with despair or a sense of doubt or defeat or frustration or wanting to give up. But we shouldn't do that. We should feel comforted by the message of this passage. Now, we are left to speculate as to exactly how the Spirit of Jesus made known those first two doors that were shut. But I think it is worth considering that it does seem that prayer seems to be a critical context in which these things are discerned, however ambiguous they may seem at the time. Consider Luke's first book, uh, to which acts as the sequel, the Gospel of Luke. We see Jesus often in the context of prayer, discerning or taking his next step in his earthly ministry. Think about his baptism. Think about his time in the wilderness of temptation. Think about when he's about to engage in his first public acts of ministry. Luke makes sure to to emphasize the fact that that was a prayerful time. We think about when he's on the eve of choosing the 12 who would become the 12 apostles. We think about when Peter's about to make his great confession that Jesus is the Christ of God. We think about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when his appearance has changed. Or we think about Jesus' teaching on prayer in Luke 11 where he clearly makes a connection between prayer and the gift and work of the Holy Spirit. All of these are ways in which our Lord himself was modeling that. And then when we move on to the early chapters of the book of Acts, we see many instances where prayer was a consistent context in which the early believers experienced the work and guidance of the Holy Spirit. We see this in their preparation for and at the dawn of the day of Pentecost. We see this in the post-persecution prayers of the church in Acts chapter 4. We see this in the ministry of Philip when he goes and evangelizes the Ethiopian Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8. But not only prayer, 
But sometimes God raises up somebody, a prophet, who will speak a word of direction for us to lead us forward into the future. It's actually been recognized that Silas, who joined Paul on this journey, was himself identified as a prophet in Acts chapter 15. And we have a couple of other places where a prophet named Agabus spoke an important word into the life of Paul in the book of Acts. And so perhaps, although we cannot be sure, Silas may have been the agent who kind of helped them see that, hey, this is a closed door. We need to move on from here. This is certainly part of my story. I think about when I was involved with campus ministry, the Wesley Foundation at Mississippi University for Women. And I was a new Christian, and uh, I was part of the ministry team, and we went on a mission trip to the Seashore United Methodist Mission in Biloxi, Mississippi. And I was wrestling with God's call in my life at that time, although I had not really talked a whole lot with people about that. And now when we arrived to the Seashore Mission, we got to meet with the pastor of the mission, Reverend Al Wallace. He was a retired naval pilot, big African-American man. And we had just barely gotten introduced to him. He was kind of showing us the place. And he was kind of, say about right here, facing this direction. And all of a sudden, he just turns and looks at me out of the blue. And he said, son, what is God calling you to do? And I said, I don't know. (laughs) And he said, you'll know because God will make you uncomfortable about it. You know, his his response got me to thinking that really deep down, I think I did know what God was calling me to do. And somehow I think I was standing in the presence of a prophet of God, giving me God's direction. So we should have confidence that even though sometimes the direction is not clear, that there's something about this story that helps us realize that if we'll just hang in there and we'll continue to seek, God will show us the way. I love how Henry Blackaby gives us some counsel on how we can um, be putting ourselves in the way of hearing from God. He wrote a study a number of years ago. I know a number of you in the congregation have done this. It's called Experiencing God, Finding and Following the will of God. And this is a a truth statement that he had come to. He says, God speaks through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. So when we give ourselves to ongoing prayer and reflection on God's word, alone and with others, when we bring our need for guidance into the counsel of other believers, somehow, some way, we trust God will lead us through these things, even though we have many doubts and discouragements, detours, and delays along the way. Now, we've demonstrated that the Spirit of Jesus both closes doors and opens doors, and we are called to be open to the Spirit in both of those cases. This naturally leads us then to the matter of obedience to the Spirit of Jesus. Closed doors are meant to be honored. Open doors are meant to be walked through. Calls are meant to be answered. The Spirit of Jesus calls us to be obedient, to walk through those open doors, to quit running into or getting our fingers smashed in those doors that are closing, and to answer the call of God on our lives. We are called not only to be open to the guidance of the Spirit of Jesus, but to be obedient to the Spirit uh, and guidance of Jesus. Now, we've already considered the problem of how we often face how to know, how to listen to the Holy Spirit, and to know whether or not he's actually guiding us to do or not to do something. But there may also be another question that arises in our minds. Does God allow us to miss or resist those calls? I think that there is one example of how God may allow us to resist his call at some level. 
You may be familiar, if you look back in the, the, back a little earlier in the middle of chapter 15, how there's that story of how originally this mission trip started off with Paul and Barnabas working together. And they ultimately ended up getting in a very strong, sharp disagreement. And unfortunately, they determined to part ways from one another. And Barnabas took Mark, who was the bone of contention, and went off in one direction. And, and Paul ultimately invited Silas to join him, and they set off. I cannot believe that that disagreement and how it worked out was the will of God. And yet, ultimately, God did not let that get in the way of his ultimate plan to bring the gospel to people who hadn't heard it yet and to bring encouragement to those who had already responded to the gospel in those churches that Paul and Barnabas had helped plant. But the reality is, is that sometimes God does allow us to resist his call at some level, even for the shorthand. But also, I think it's very clear from the Scripture that sometimes it's true that God doesn't stop with us until we give in. Just ask Jonah from the Old Testament. The call, though, was not simply to obedience in general. This ministry team in Acts chapter 16 clarifies the call of God, and they act accordingly. They, in the words of that hymn we so often sing, they trusted and they obeyed. The spirit of Jesus' call to them was to a specific task. It was to preach the good news. It was the work of witness. It was a ministry of words as well as, no doubt, works, as we mentioned earlier. We could put it this way. They were called by the Spirit of Jesus to a ministry of outreach to and with others. First of all, it's a matter of people and places. God is putting sometimes people and places on our hearts. Students of Acts 16 cl hear clearly a strong sense of urgency in that vision that Paul gets. The people of Macedonia are in desperate need, whether they actually know it or not. The person in the vision that Paul sees pleads with him. The same is true for us. There are people in our lives that are crying out from the depths, and they may not even know why it is. There are places that we are being called to go because there are people there who are in need, even desperate need, whom Jesus wants to do great works and speak words of good news in and to them. But sometimes in order to really do that, we not only have to be open and obedient to go to those places and to those people, but we have to be open and obedient to the Spirit of Jesus in his incognito mission to get involved with partnering with others in ministry. In fact, sometimes the best way to begin for us to begin to be open to and obedient to becoming part of Jesus' mission incognito is to do so with and through others in the church. The, the mission team and tri uh, trip ultimately gets started when Paul and Barnabas are still working together. But then ultimately it continues along when Paul gathers Silas to be one of his first ministry partners. And then as they make it along their journey, they come to a town named Lystra. And there they meet a young disciple named Timothy. And this disciple catches Paul's eye. And he ultimately recruits Timothy to be part of their growing ministry team. And so he reaches out to him and enlists Timothy, and they go on their way. Now, did you notice a very subtle detail in this passage, for, especially the first uh, paragraph that Corey read? We understand the author of the book of Acts to be Luke. And in some of the more literal translation, there's, there's an interesting, interesting indication of who is in this group. 
we have repeated plural pro pronouns, and it goes like this. In verse 6, we hear, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. And then in the verse 7, it says, and when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. And then in verse 8, it continues, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And at this point, we finally get someone named by the author explicitly when he says, A vision appeared to Paul in which a man of Macedonia was urgently addressing him directly. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now watch what happens next. The author moves, moves on to say, And when he, that is Paul, had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The English teachers in the room are going, what's going on here? Well, we can't say for absolute certain, but I'm going to wager a bet here. Luke was hanging out in Troas, and whether this was the moment of his conversion and immediately he got a call to ministry as well, or whether he was already a believer in that town that they encountered, I think we can say with the relative amount of certainty that Luke got in on the band, got in on the ministry team at this point. And so it is for us that we hear a call at some point in our lives, whether it's years ago or this very morning, and we, like Luke, find ourselves getting caught up with others in an incognito mission of Jesus that needs us. So what about us? How can we do that? What are some ways in which we can think about that? I love how we've already mentioned this morning about bringing items to give to those that are going to be going forth from this congregation to the Dominican Republic. How people can show up and actually shop. Surely one of the things that we most like to do in Madison at a missions rummage sale that's going to help sponsor our friends Todd and Katie and their growing family that's serving down in Honduras. There's a guy in our congregation, I hope y'all don't mind me calling names this morning, named Bob Morgan, who goes most every week to Madcap on Mondays and Wednesdays. And he's constantly coming back to me and say, hey, is there anybody that, that might be interested in coming up and helping us at Madcap? On Mondays, they distribute food boxes, and you have the opportunity of carrying people's food boxes out to their cars if you can, or just being present and talking to the people who are served, or being there on a Wednesday where they prepare for those boxes to be put out the, the following Monday. Maybe this calling of Jesus means that you'll connect with Jay Atkinson, a member of our congregation who's now heading up our ministry in Foreign Extra Part with Why Not Now. And you might go every month or every now and then when we go once a month to be down there to share food and friendship with our friends in that area of Jackson. Or it might be talking to Corey and being part of one of the Mission Mondays that are coming up uh, over the summer. You may not, maybe too late to get on the Dominican Republican trip or too late to get on the salt and light trip to go with Phil and others, but you can go locally, and that's really a good thing. Maybe this means talking to Renee about being a volunteer witness for Vacation Bible School. We've already mentioned that today. Or maybe it's talking with Diane Goolsby about the larger ministry of our outreach team or talking specifically with her about some of the opportunities that come up at the Methodist Children's Home. It might mean talking with me this Tuesday or Wednesday about going to the early response training at St. Mark's next Saturday so that you can be a trained and authorized member 
of an early response team and go when they have these calls for helping out with sandbagging over in Yazoo County as they had recently or mucking out a house in uh, South Mississippi. These are some of the ways in which you might be able to let Jesus gather you up into his incognito mission. J.D. Walt was the dean of the chapel at Asbury Theological Seminary during my time there. And I can distinctly remember it was either orientation week or the very first full week of classes. And he was trying to plant some seeds in our heart about how serious a thing it is to let the Lord transform us during that season. But you know what? It's a word for any season for any Christian. But this is what he said. He urged us, let the Spirit of God work in you so that he can work through you, so that he doesn't have to work around you. Is the Spirit of God having to work around me because I'm not letting him work in me so that he can work through me? Is the Spirit of God having to work around you because you haven't been letting him work in you so that he can fruitfully work through you? It's a challenging question. It is my prayer for myself and each one of us that we will walk the pathway to either a new or a renewed sense of being a part of the Spirit-led Jesus incognito mission. And this is how I would encourage us to pursue that openness and that obedience. One, it's just like what Paul and Silas and Timothy and others had to do. They had to continually pursue their life of prayer and be open in that prayer life to how the Lord may be laying some calling on their heart. Maybe it's to some place, to some people, to some practices of outreach. But in that prayer, we then are open, number two, to being partnered up with others. Paul had his Silas, his Timothy, his Luke, his Lydia. We may have our Bob, our Diane, or somebody else in the life of this church that we need to partner up with. And I would encourage us to sooner than later pursue those people. Pick up the phone, send the text message, write that email and click send and get connected to that partner that God's putting on your heart. And when you get together, be ready to not only to discuss how God might be calling us to serve together, but to pray about it. But then actually be present in those places and with those people that God is calling us to. And may I remind us that sometimes it's not necessarily a journey of tens or hundreds or thousands of miles. Sometimes that journey is a matter of inches or feet. Sometimes it's not a matter of geographical movement as much as it is just, as my professor used to say, Bob Tuttle, showing up and paying attention which could just simply be pulling out the earbuds and actually being willing to have the conversation with the person sitting next to us on the bus or on the airplane or wherever we may be. But then finally, when we're praying and we're partnering and we're ready to be in those places and with those people that God is calling us to be, we need to be ready to practice our discipleship vows, the practice of presence that we commit to, which in this scenario is about being present and listening love to listen deeply to the cries and the needs and the stories of people right there in front of us to be willing then to practically serve them uh, however that may need to look and then finally prayerfully 
to be a verbal witness to what Christ is doing in our lives. It could be something as simple as saying, you know, in my devotional time, I've been reading about this crazy story where Jesus healed a leper. And sometimes I feel like I'm kind of like that leper and I need him to touch me, whatever it may be. But when we allow ourselves to get caught up in those practical ways and that practical path, Jesus will put us on a pathway of being a part of his mission incognito. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time and for this opportunity to consider your calling in our lives. And we pray that you would write whatever word from this that we need on our hearts and that you'll give us a constant nagging until we begin to pursue it. Don't let us walk through a door that's supposed to be closed. Lord, help us not to neglect a wide open door that you're calling us to walk through. And help us to know that there's no greater joy in this life than to be a part of what you're doing. To know your salvation for ourselves and then be a part of bringing others to that salvation as well. We pray this through the power of your Holy Spirit, thanking you and asking that you'd lead us. And all God's children said, Amen.